It is wonderful. I'm so glad that we were safe um, during the snow, um, but it, it was a little frustrating not to get to be here. So I'm glad that we finally get to be here back together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have words to say to us today. You have a message for each one of us, and I pray that you, you would speak to us through this scripture, through this amazing scripture. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak into our circumstances. Lord Jesus, we praise you for this opportunity to read and study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have you noticed that when there's bad news, you often want to share good news as well? Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a human thing. They actually say, they tell like all the leadership um, experts and stuff say that managers should give six points of positive feedback for every one point of criticism. So it's, it, it's a really, we need to hear the good stuff when we hear bad stuff, right? So my son, uh, you, have, you guys don't know my son, um, probably most of you and us. <laughs> he, he's a smart little cookie, okay? Um, when he was in second grade, I put, took him to this little soccer class. And at second grade, they start moving from the point of um, doing, you know, just kick the ball and try to hit it somewhere near the little goal, right? And they start actually moving into teams and start practicing as a team. So he's out there and playing this little, you know, with you know, three or four other seven and eight-year-olds and playing this team. At the end of one of the classes, the coach came over to me. The coach was a, a college student, um, a biology major. And he comes over to me and he's like, your son's really smart. And I said, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, your son is really smart. He's telling me about photosynthesis in the same language that my professors in college are telling me about photosynthesis. But this is soccer. <laughs> he said, I love talking biology. I can talk biology with him at any point, but not on the soccer field. So the last time we met, we got some bad news, right? The last time we met, Jesus started talking about the fact that he was going to die, that his passion was coming. So this week, we're seeing how God responds to that. E. Schweitzer says that the transfiguration is God's answer to the announcement of the passion. It's the good news that follows the bad news. Despite his coming death, Jesus is the Messiah, the glorious personage, as confessed by Peter that we heard last time um, we met a month ago. So Jesus has just predicted that this is that his death is coming, and it's the first time he's predicted that in the book of Matthew. And so this is how God responds to that. Isn't this a cool picture? 
that's the Transfiguration as it's a um, in a Coptic monastery in um, Egypt. So let's look at the text. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. I want you to notice something about this group of people. This is a, a small part of the disciples, the full group of disciples that followed Jesus, right? And we are going to see this group at another time coming up in the story. When is that? The Garden of Gethsemane. These are the same three. So this is perhaps a symbolic of the fact that those who witness Jesus' heavenly glory must also witness his earthly agony. Right? It's a it's this the, a parallel. But this Bible is so full of parallels and what we call bookends. When we see the same story at one point and then we say see something that is very similar elsewhere, we're gonna get to another one of those later. Um, so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up to uh, up a high mountain by themselves. Um, this Traditionally, this high mountain is Mount Tabor in southern Galilee. <clears throat> there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So last time, Christina talked about the kind of the transformation of Peter from being Simon to being Peter the Rock, right? The, the cornerstone of the church. Um, and this time, we're going to see not a transformation, but a transfiguration. Because it, Jesus is not changing who he is, but we're getting to see a different side of him. So we do have, we get different stories. We tell different stories to get to different parts of who we are. So I, tell, I just told you a story about my son, that he's pretty smart. He's a smart little Little cookie. He's not so little anymore. He's about this tall. Um, I could also tell you a story about how he got his black belt in Taekwondo. I could tell you a story about how he uh, got his Eagle Scout. Or I could tell you the stories about the, how I frustration cried almost every day of his elementary school years. Or how my heart breaks when I hear another adult say to him, don't talk to me, I, can't, I don't understand you. You're too smart for me. So we all, we're telling stories about different parts of who Jesus is too. So this is a story that we're in that is not about how Jesus is necessarily divine. It's not, they call that a theophany. That's a, a big Latin type word. Theo meaning God. Fanny meaning um, vision. So a vision of God. This is not a story about a vision of God. This is called a Christophany. A vision of the Messiah. A vision of the Christ. Okay? This is about how Jesus is the one who's going to save Israel. And we know all of that, right? Um, so let's look at this text and see uh, what it is that shows us this, that this is what this is. This is a Christophany. 
So Jesus' face shone like the sun. Okay? These are the same words that we saw back in thir chapter 13. Yeah, chapter 13, verse 43, uh, when it says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. So therefore, Jesus, it shows us that Jesus is this transformed human who is the perfecter of righteousness. Who else was a perfecter of righteousness? Remember? Moses. We're going to see him later, too. Okay. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, who were talking with Jesus. So these Moses and Elijah are the two most important characters in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses, we all know, was the one who, who kind of was the credited with the creation of the nation of Israel. Not the father, right? That's Abraham. But Moses was create, the creator of the nation of Israel. And Elijah, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I forget about Elijah a lot. But he's a really cool cat. I will quote Sergio on that. He says cat all the time, and it's kind of funny. Um, so Elijah's a cool cat, right? He's, he's pretty... Um, a very influential character in the Old Testament. But you notice something at this point, I want you to notice that Jesus is very passive. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything this whole time. And that's significant. So here we're going to have this little comparison um, to Elijah and Moses. So here we are on a high mountain. This is Mount Tabor uh, in southern Galilee. Elijah, if you remember the story, he was on Mount Carmel uh, and, and threatened the, uh, the prophets of Baal there, right? And had this whole challenge with them where they were trying to, to get Baal to take their offering and, and he didn't do it. And then Elijah comes along, and one day he said, you know, the Spirit of God comes down and burns up the offering and the altar and everything around it, um, including the water that he poured over this, right? Um, so that's Mount Carmel. And then do you know what happened in this story? Elijah kills all of the prophets, right? And then Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab is the king at this point, Ahab and Jezebel get really mad because these are Jezebel's you know, favorite prophets. Um, and so Elijah goes to a different mountain. Mount Horeb is what it's called. This is the same mountain as Mount Sinai. So we have then another mountain, which is Sinai with Moses, and we all know that's the Mount of Revelation. That's where the Ten Commandments come, um, are presented. And it's where Moses interacts with God. So all three of them are on mountains. Jesus here, his face is transformed. It's shining. Um, Moses, I'm skipping over Elijah here. Moses had a face that was shining. So he had to wear a veil whenever he came down off the mountain. Elijah didn't have a shiny face. I looked all over. I couldn't find a shiny face. <laughs> but 
he had God's presence in a different way. In a gentle whisper. Do you, I don't know if you remember this part of the story. One I always forget, but it's such a great story. Jesus, or Elijah, is like complaining to God, right? Like, like, look what you've done. Look at all this horrible stuff that's happened to me because I'm your prophet, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's like, I just want to hear from you. Doesn't that sound familiar? I say that all the time to God. I just want to hear from you. So God sends all these big, huge things. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's flashes. There's, there's all sorts of stuff. But God's voice isn't in any of it. There's a huge rushing wind that blows through, but God's voice was not there. God's voice was in a gentle whisper. And that right there is such a beautiful picture to me about how God communicates to us. Um, so, he got God's presence in a different way. And then, lastly, Jesus would die but would be resurrected. Elijah didn't die. You can look that up in 2 Kings. And Moses uh, says he died in the Pentateuch, but the rabbinic tradition says he didn't die. So there's this tradition of um, just being taken up and um, disappeared. So that's our comparison. Back to the scripture. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Okay. It's so unusual for Peter to completely miss the mark, isn't it? So unusual. Yeah. Peter completely misses the mark with this. So, couple things. If, if this was a true theophany, remember, a vision of, of the divine Jesus, um, Peter would not speak to Jesus um, as casually as he does. This is a pretty casual thing. Um, in the, the Mark version of this story, um, they're, they're frightened, and that Mark uses that as an excuse why Peter starts to kind of babble. He's like, babble, 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 I don't know what to say, so I'm going to just start babbling. So, Booths. Why are we talking about booths or shelters? Um, it's the same word as tabernacle. Remember that the Israelites, as they're wandering around the desert for 40 years, they have this temporary uh, shelter, a tabernacle, that they took with them as the, the resting place of God, right? And that became, eventually, when they got to Jerusalem, they, that became the temple. Much more permanent structure. But this was the temporary um, moving tent. Um, so Peter's like, I'm going to make three tents. Wouldn't that be cool? Why? Is it, why? That doesn't make any sense, right? Um, so there's a couple suggestions why he decided to, to talk about tents. Um, maybe he was trying to keep Moses and Elijah there longer um, and keep Jesus from his, his fate that he just said, I'm going to die. Um, maybe he's trying to create a, a shelter where they can stay um, so they won't disappear. Uh, I, I tend to think that um, it's more of a, that in the Old Testament, they were very 
whenever they had an interaction with the divine, um, they would make a tent um, or an altar. I'm sorry. They would build an altar at that spot. And so we have these little altars that kind of speckle throughout um, the whole area of Israel and from um, even from Ur when uh, Abraham left Ur. Uh, and he built altars along the way. Uh, so we have all these altars. So I kind of think that that's what Peter's thinking. But, but whatever he was thinking about building tents, he puts his foot in it pretty significantly here. His mistake is making Jesus one of three. When Jesus is not one of his three. Right? Jesus is part of a different three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he's not part of this three. He has this fundamental misunderstanding of what was going on. So unlike him. So unlike Peter. That's really encouraging to me, by the way, because I have I frequently have big misunderstandings of what's actually going on. Um, I, I have a tendency to respond to to God's message with my own agenda. I don't know if you guys do that. I don't know anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, seems like a good idea, right? Now, I, I had a hard time coming up with an example for this one. Uh, yeah, if you, if you can't read that, it says, uh, God will wreck your plans when he seen, sees that your plans are about to wreck you. Right? God will wreck your plans when he sees that your plans are about to wreck you, which is frequently how I know that my agenda has been inserted into God's message. So I was having a really hard time figuring out what story to tell you because there are so many of these stories. <laughs> so many. And then actually, on my way here this morning, I changed what story I was going to tell you. <laughs> so... Several years ago, before my family was coming to this church, we were attending another church, and I was very um, deeply involved in everything that was going there, going on there. Um, and we had planned, the pastor and I had planned a spiritual formation retreat. And it, I was so excited about it. We had this this series of events that was that we did each year. Um, around Christmas time, we did four weeks of giving, uh, where we would bring items for homeless shelters, um, like towels and toiletries and that stuff, and then take it all over. And then we had, in the spring, we had four weeks of serving, um, where we did service projects in the community. And then in the summer and fall, we did four weeks of being. And that was my attempt at kind of balancing the, the strong service attitude with how do we grow in our relationship with Jesus. So this retreat was kind of the, the capstone of that year's four weeks for, for being. And we, we planned the whole thing and we promoted it. It was a small church, so I'll give you that. Um, it was smaller than the ladies in this room. <laughs> um, so, but there were three of Three people who came, so there were five of us total on that retreat. So it, it was—I wouldn't say it was a smashing success. We had a good time, and we had—you know—I think there was some spiritual growth that that went on. But when we asked 
at the beginning of the retreat, you know, why, why are you here? What are you trying? What do you want to get out of this? One of the the ladies said, "I'm just excited to do something where I'm not in charge." <laughs> okay. Um, and her daughter said, "Mom made me." Okay. Yeah. So I really only had one person there who was there because it was a spiritual formation retreat. Um, fast forward 18 months. No, fast forward just a, a couple months. Sorry, I was skipping. This is what happens when you change your story in the middle of, middle of the road. A um, couple months later, uh, I am in a spiritual direction group. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but it's a group of, of people who get together. It's a small group um, led by a spiritual director uh, where you use scripture in, um, in a very formational way, not informational. What we're doing here is informational, right? You're learning about the scriptures, um, but what you're doing is letting the, the scripture change you, not reading into it, right? So, in the spiritual direction group, we were studying Luke 5, where uh, Jesus comes along and tells the disciples to throw the net to the other side, Right, um, and I had in this this experience, I had this very strong message from God: you need to throw your your net to another side. And this is regarding your church. So I, I imme immediately, right after this session, we had a little break right before lunch. I went and I got on my email and I emailed the pastor. And I was like, okay, I've got a message from God. God wants us to change how we're fishing for people. So we're going to throw the net to the other side, so let's talk about that when I get back. His response was not all that encouraging, as you might imagine. Um, so now fast forward 18 months. I've started coming here, working here at the church. Robin had this amazing idea of, of having a weekend of spiritual formation. We called it the Immersed Weekend. Many of you probably were there or heard about it. Um, and it was just a, a wonderful time of, of learning how to deepen your relationship with Jesus through formation, um, not through information, but through formation. And I was exhausted after that weekend. Um, I was completely like wrung out. Um, it, it was a lot of work to put it on. Um, it was wonderful, but it was a lot of work to put on. Uh, and so I was really tired, and I showed up um, to worship on the Sunday morning, and the scripture was Luke 5. Right? The scripture was the same story. And it was Jesus telling the disciples to fish on the other side of the boat. And it hit me so strongly that it wasn't about me helping to change what the church was doing. I needed to change what church I was doing it at. I had had three people, one who was actually there for formation at my retreat before, and then we had 200 people when we came here and I started fishing somewhere else. That's what happens when we get a message from God, and start trying to make our own agenda out of it, right? I tried to make my own agenda out of it. God was having nothing to do with that, and, and got his agenda through it anyway. 
But we do it so often, don't we? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, I'll get to what he said in a second, I just want to highlight, um, Peter's getting interrupted here. Like, shut up, Peter. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So Peter's interrupted by this divine voice, that echoes Jesus' baptismal scene. Remember that in, in chapter 3, we have the same thing happen, except added, listen to him. Right? So, now follow me here, because I'm going to lead you on a little, a little journey. This follows the first prediction of Jesus' passion. Right? So it carries some additional significance over Jesus' baptism. God is pleased that Jesus has accepted, obediently accepted, this suffering role. I am well pleased, right? This is a reference to the suffering servant in Isaiah. So we have announcement of the Passion. We have Messiah, right? Because we're talking about this is the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, um, in whom God delights. That's a, a reference to Isaiah 42, right? So the Messiah prophecies are in, um, much of them are in Isaiah. Um, and then we have Isaiah 53, the suffering servant on whom the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53, 6. So, does that make sense? Did I just follow, like, take you on that journey, okay? Okay, good. But added is listen to him. This is a reference to uh, Moses. Oh, we know him. Deuteronomy 18, when the, when the Lord says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses said it. Um, he will be one of your own people. You must listen to him. Okay? Listen to him. Jesus is presented as the one who is like Moses, but vastly superior. So, uh, throughout the scriptures, um, word is given priority over vision, right? So, the word, where the, the written word, the oral word, um, word is, is very important. Jesus is called the word, right? Um, God's will is communicated through word. The vision is only has value if it leads to listening obediently to the teaching. Okay? So, uh, the, up to this point in the book of Matthew, the focus has been on the miracles of Jesus. Right? And so this shows us uh, a pretty stark shift. Because now we're not focusing on the vision, on the things that Jesus is doing. We're focusing on what he says. Listen to him. Now in the baptismal scene in chapter thir 3, uh, it probably was only heard by Jesus. 
We don't really know. There's no indication one way or the other. But there's a good chance that, that this voice from heaven was only heard by Jesus. But here it's very clearly heard by the disciples as well. Because it says, when the disciples heard him, heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. Now we get the terrified, right? Not, not the vision of Moses and Elijah, but now we get the terrified when we have this voice. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So this is where Jesus takes his first action and says his first words. And I think it's really significant that his first words after having this voice say, listen to him, his first words are, get up, don't be afraid. That's so significant. Um, and what did he do? He came and he touched. These are the verbs used elsewhere when he's when describing the healings that Jesus did. He came and he touched. You remember that? Right? Uh, we, Jesus healed using words and touch and getting close to people. So what does this teach us about how Jesus responds to our fear? He comes close, and he touches. This isn't religious, but, I, but this is true. Um, we have fingers. Those, they're cute fingers. Um, no other form of communication is as universally understood as touch. The compassionate touch of a hand or the reassuring hug can take away our fears, soothe our anxieties, and fill the emptiness of being lonely. Touch is so important. Are there times in your life when you have felt Jesus draw close when you were afraid as a response? Okay. Last part of the story. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Why does he say that? Well, you've heard this before. He said this before. What have you seen? So God is granting these three disciples to participate in something that would be otherwise impossible to perceive with normal human vision. They would never have seen this if, he, if they hadn't been with Jesus. Um, it reminds us of last month when Christina was talking about open my eyes, right? They see these themes that, that keep coming open, coming along with us in our scriptures. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? That's a really interesting response. I don't know why they respond to, like, don't talk about this with this question, but they did. So um, this is a reference then back to Malachi, the Old Testament, Malachi 4 where it says that Elijah will come to restore all things. Now, do, did Elijah restore all things? No. He was there to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So the New Testament writers, all of them, recognize that sometimes God has to initiate a mid-course adjustment 
due to the interference of human sin, right? Sin comes along and, and kind of messes up the, the plan, and so God has to come along and say, okay, well, my purposes will not be thwarted, so we're going to do it this way now. And that's what Jesus kind of, that's what Jesus is, right? He's a, a mid-course adjustment um, due to the interference of human sin. So Elijah was there to restore all things, but sin didn't allow him to complete his work. So then what happens? Jesus comes and takes the sin, and God's work can be completed. Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. There's that theme. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist didn't look like what was expected. They were expecting Elijah. They were expecting a pretty precise definition or expression of what that was going to look like. And so Elijah came, and they didn't recognize him. Which is another way that Jesus is saying, and the Messiah has come. And they don't recognize him. Right? If the, the precursor isn't recognized, how can the, the main event be recognized? So the disciples at this point didn't have to be convinced of Jesus' humanity. You know, we, we talk about Jesus. Jesus was fully human and fully divine, right? The disciples didn't have to be convinced of the humanity of Jesus. They needed to be convinced of the, the divinity and the, the Messiah, that he was the Messiah, right? Um, we are often in a different place. We're, we're pretty convinced um, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? That's kind of the basis of our faith. Um, we're pretty convinced in that Jesus is part of the Trinity. He's the Godhead. He's divine, right? Um, it's harder for us to understand Jesus as human. So they needed to be re reminded that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus, because Jesus was speaking about his death, right? They knew him as human. They needed to see the, the Messiah-ness of him. And they needed to hear that Jesus has the authority that is final and incomparable. So last month, the question that Jesus posed to Peter was, who do people say that I am? And the responses were John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or the prophets, right? But Jesus is not any of those. Jesus is the Messiah. So I just added a, a final line here. Moses doesn't get to participate. But we have um, Jesus would restore all things. He succeeded because he took on all of the sin that was thwarting the restoration that Elijah was part of. So, 
This is, by the way, the uh, picture. Um, this is called the Christos Pentakrispor from the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Um, so, God's response to Jesus' prophecy of his death. God's response is what? Revelation. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah. Glory. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Why don't people recognize him as the Messiah? Right? Why is that? And despite all of this, or because all of this, or however you want to say that, um, Jesus is present with his disciples. Come, touch, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of who you are as the Messiah. We are in awe that all of the stories, all of the parts of, um, of who you are, that they all point to this one thing, that you have saved us. We are so grateful for that, Lord. I pray that you will be with the conversations that go on um, at the, around the tables today and that we will have a wonderful and safe rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.